Welcome to the Urban Uncovered podcast, where it is my job to interview pioneering scientists and authors to tease out some of their most fascinating work. Here we discuss neuroscience and psychology tools for everyday living. I'm Ayatollah Rabin. I'm a cognitive neuroscience student and a researcher at University College London. For today's podcast episode, we're going to be talking about the spread of misinformation. So from, you know, setting mobile phone towers on fire to refusing critical uh, vaccinations, we know the proliferation of misinformation, especially online, can be, you know, it can have massive real-world consequences. That is why joining me on today's episode is Mr. Edward White. That is W-H-I-T-E. Mr. White, thank you for joining me. It's an honor to have you here. Pleasure to having me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. White is completing his PhD at Kingston University, and his research focuses on understanding the misinformation paradigm and the critical factors that influence people and their willingness to engage in misinformation. So misinformation has been identified as a major you know, contributor to various events ranging from elections to our response to the pandemic. Um, and hopefully um, today we will be able to, you know, um, understand a little about the cognitive underpinnings of uh, this paradigm. Um, I believe the question begs itself, Dr. White. Um, how does misinformation really lead to poor judgment and decision making? Uh, so misinformation is is one of uh, several information disorders that are kind of under the umbrella term of fake news as defined by Laser et al. in 2018. Hmm. And so misinformation is kind of is defined as information that uh, mislaids without intent. And then we have things like disinformation, which could be things like propaganda, uh, which are which is false information deliberately intended to mislead, such as um, making people believe uh, that one politician is doing something nefarious, so therefore vote for the other person, or don't take vaccines because of some uh, maladaptive way that they're going to harm you. Mm. So what fake news does in, in that sense is it presents itself in various nuanced ways in mimicking actual real content. And from that, uh, what the research kind of tells us about the susceptibility is various factors ranging from um, information overload, given that we now live in a very wide digital age, information is coming from us from all different angles, whether it's from legitimate news sources, whether it's from websites, from the television, from social media, your friends, and people can just get overloaded. And just eventually, because that cognitive process is so difficult, you know, critical thinking is hard yeah. and you're processing information on any given daily basis, eventually we're tired, we're worn out, we're fatigued. So things will just kind of seep through kind of like a dam, if it were, you know, if, you, if your brain is the dam and fake news is the, the water, eventually it starts creeping through it, breaking those cracks and seeping through. So simple things as just being tired, lazy, lack of analytical thinking, just poor processing of rational um, intelligence, which is just a, a term on as you as an individual, when you're given information, do you break it down slowly to understand its um, complexities, what it's asking you, mm -hmm. or are you just more intuitive in thinking, going like, oh, 
I genuinely believe this. There's no need to, to process information. Like the earth is round, the sky is blue. I believe it <laughs> off I go. I don't actually take the time to go, let me scientifically deduce why the sky is blue or why the earth is round. And so fake news positions itself in, in such ways and very subtle um, manipulations that just play and trick on our brains through various factors. Um, there's been research going to even simpler extremes such as false memories where it will present itself, it, the fake news will present itself as true and then a couple of days later we go, we ask participants, hey, have you seen this news before? And we've completely changed the script mm -hmm. and they generally believe that, yeah, this, 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 this thing is true when it actually isn't. So ultimately what we, we find from what the literature says in these kind of just the susceptibility is that the brain is malleable and there's different very different various factors um, in the brain, our personality, our IQ, our decision-making skills that ultimately play into these various factors into our susceptibility. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, it seems to really be affecting our cognition and a plethora of studies is indicating that misinformation specifically is seem to exert a lingering influence on people's reasoning. Is that correct? Yeah, there seems to be a lot of research that um, indicates that whether it's uh, in the short term process or long term um, on those research that kind of de that defines between the two in terms of what factors may be a short term where a person is susceptible, but then the lingering effects are just short compared to long term. It really kind of goes into like personality traits where we see um, individuals that have more authoritarian beliefs, have more dogmatism, kind of more right wing authoritarianism beliefs. Um, those effects can be uh, more long term because of this personality that um, makes this, these personality tra traits uh, affect and make them see the world in a specific way um, and misinformation um, on that uh, lens, if it appeals to their sense of their view and to their beliefs, they're more likely to to believe it. It's most likely to cause maladaptive effects in terms of how they see the world, how they communicate with others, compared to a more short-term basis where mm -hmm. it could just be a simple like mistake, like, oh, I, I was taken in, but I, I see the mistake, I can see what's going on, and I will do better to detect the information and maybe do more research that I'm not as susceptible or look into detecting things that may just be a little bit questionable. All right. So is, is there is there a name for that effect? Um, currently, there's not much um, name into that effect as of late because the research is so broad and scope. There um, have been some theories discussing uh, terror management theory, which kind of argues a uh, belief that but that traditionally we as people are, uh, we desire meaning, we desire to have kind of a higher calling. What's the, what's the meaning of life, if you will? And terror management argues that if, you're un if you are under attack, um, either in a physical or more existential threat, such as someone's out to get you, they are out to get you, some external force is impeding on your well-being, you'll double down on your beliefs um, in order to protect yourself, to build this root of, I will uh, be part of something, a higher calling. And so fake news um, in various aspects, whether misinformation or disinformation, will play on that of, hey, buy this item because it will do this, or don't vote for this person because of X. And 
therefore, because of how misinformation or fake news presents itself, if it does it in such a way, people will be more likely to double down and more likely to have those beliefs and more likely to engage in the susceptibility and have those lingering effects. Um, other stuff in more qualitative terms uh, looks at it in terms of like uh, social construct theory, where we as a society, we have a desire to connect with, with people rather than with meeting. And so as social animals and our desire to connect, um, anything that uh, we uh, agree with, i.e. like uh, that confirms our view, i.e. confirmation bias, we're more likely to, to believe in it compared to anything else outside of it. And this information can, again, play off of, off of those belief systems and decide our um, individual personalities and individual differences to engage in these maladaptive behaviors that we see. All right, I got it. You spoke, you touched a little about um, people wondering, you know, with the theory of terror management, people wondering what the meaning of life is. How does that relate to people's susceptibility to, you know, falling prey to misinformation? So if someone was not quite clear on their purpose in life, is are they more susceptible? Is that a factor? Uh, it, it, it is currently in terms of just there's been some baby steps into that research. Currently, it seems to kind of argue um, one, one researcher, uh, Gordon Penny Cook, argues that it's, it comes from laziness, that people are just um, disinterested. And so in this desire to meet, they just don't care as much in terms of just the sense of, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a conservative, I am I'm this, I am whatever I, I am. And if it just you know believes in my view, I'm just less like I'm likely to to believe it. Uh, but there seems to be this new um, idea in research that what fake news does, um, specifically what I'm looking at in my research is that uh, people uh, really want things to happen to them. So it's so when you see fake fake news, what fake news will do is engage on those paradigms of making reactions in people. And so therefore, uh, they are going to be highly likely to engage in fake news. They're highly likely to believe in it because it's a reaction that's catering to, to their sense of need, the sense of belonging. Uh, but as of right now, the research is still kind of in its infancy, looking at it through like social identity and looking at it through social psychology factors um, and trying to engage on, is there a cognitive link on why are we seeing um, it in some sections of the population and not others, or even in the general population where we do see that fake news can trick us all, whether it's disinformation or misinformation, um, is it a reaction to these social cognitive paradigms that we choose to believe in, that we decide that we um, want, or is it just something that there is a resistance in the cognitive processes that we can just detect and be like, oh, it's a mistake, I can quickly override that and, and move on, and it's not um, a reaction to me needing this fulfillment, but rather um, I can react to my own personal choices. Interesting. I mean, nowadays it's so common, right? Um, um, and we're all trying to make sense out of misinformation and we're trying to correct it, but it's, it can be either like in, in intentional or unintentional ways, but it's difficult. It's really difficult. And uh, how do you think we can best, you know, um, fight against it, especially against fake news? 
So the, 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 the easiest answer is education. Um, much of the research into preventative measures into fake news um, argues that that is um, the best solution. Um, one study by Rosenberg from 2017 um, used education systems where they showed a bunch of participants um, items saying, hey, here's how you detect fake news, here's some warning labels when you're actually going onto websites, whether yes. it's The Guardian, the BBC, and those will help people uh, detect fake news. And there was a significant increase on detection of fake news. Um, other researchers are looking into more game theory and interactive models, uh, suggesting that if we have video games, uh, one game that has been created is called the Bad News Game. It's a little app that you can get on your computer or phone where oh, yes. your job is to uh, pretend to be a fake news publicist and your job is to get as many likes or subscribes as humanly possible. And so you basically create these fake news articles and submit them into this game and the more likes you get, the more money you get, and that's the objective of the goal. And it creates a thing called an inoculation effect, where yes. the idea is that if you play a particular game or if you're doing a particular activity that runs counter to what you're actually doing, you are becoming inoculated, much like getting a vaccine against a, a disease. So in this case, because fake news mimics real content and we use certain words, use certain hashtags, if you are playing a game where you are basically trying to create fake news, you're more likely to see which is real, which is not. And so when you go out to the real world, you're actually more inclined and more able to figure out and detect which is actually a legitimate article, which is a legitimate news source, and which is fake. Amazing. Uh, speaking of the the bad news, I think I think these are the games created by the Cambridge. Is, is it the Social Decision Making Lab, right? Yes, it, um, in conjunction with like Penny Cook and Rand and um, other researchers, it was kind of something they introduced a couple of years ago um, in conjunction of how can we combat um, fake news? Well, through education, and, but now that we live in a new age where people want more interactive material, they want to engage, how do you best do that rather than just put a bunch of arrows saying, hey, this is, this is how you detect fake news rather than you as the participant you use your critical thinking skills, you're using your brain power to detect and analyze contents. And so therefore you are able to detect what's true and what's not. Mm, I, I really like the idea that what they're trying to do is really build resistance against misinformation in general, rather than just fighting one piece at a time. Even though they did create <laughs> multiple, like I've tried the Harmony Square, I think it's one of, the, one of them. Um, I'm not sure if it belongs to them. I've tried Harmony Square and they've got Go Viral. Um, so I, I guess there's plenty of options to go for. Um, are, do you do you believe that these are appropriate ways to, you know, um, inoculate people against fake news, or is is there an, another better you know solution? Um, it for me it's it's a good it's a good place to start. Um, however, there are some kind of limitations with it. Like the most okay. obvious being is that obviously it being a, a game or teaching um, people how to detect big news, uh, it, that becomes a problem in itself is that are we willing, are we um, suspect, are we actually 
going to ask people to, before they go onto the Guardian or before they go onto news content, hey, you got to play this game beforehand. Mm. Um, so there is this, there has been some criticisms within kind of the literature review saying that the, these things are actually working, they're, they're helpful, and you should definitely use them more. But how do you get them to, to an audience before they're going to read a news article? Like no one legitimately has the time nowadays. You know, you're working, we have lives that are, that, that's always been kind of a critique. Is this someone going to sit down prior to reading the newspaper and like, oh, I got to do my daily dose of um, inoculation game, fake news, or read this um, interaction material before I go to... Um, the news to detect what's true, what's not. So the um, burden has kind of slowly shifted towards putting some of those paradigms to news companies um, and highlighting, uh, citing your sources. You know, where are you saying that this is coming from when you got this news, news report mm. or this article coming out? Um, that way, the responsibility is both on the news company, but also on the participants who's reading that so that they can further go down and work on those critical thinking skills. So um, on one hand, yes, education is totally the thing. We definitely need more to put that, whether it's just like community outreach centers or programs through schools, definitely there is um, some credence to using these um, systems and using these games, uh, but there needs to be a transition to putting it more on the news sites so that we you know, are holding them accountable, like where you're getting your information for, where's the story coming from, um, rather than just being like, here's the news, off you go. You know, <laughs> the responsibility needs to be on them because with so much content out there 24-7, you know, if we're just putting the responsibility on people to inoculate themselves to read and read and read and read, that mm -hmm. emotion, that um, education and information overlord kicks in and then they're just overwhelmed and then we see kind of adverse effects as a consequence of these inoculation games is that the brain can only do so much in any given day there's only so much brain power we have a day that it would be too much so therefore the transition needs to be in balance okay i mean a lot of researchers instead of fighting misinformation after it's already spread have seemed to sh have shifted their strategy so you're saying that we should prevent it from going viral in the first place right yeah, that seems to be the argument that's being mentioned in some of the labor reviews, one from 2019 by Tandog and one by uh, Penny Cook and Rand a couple of years later. Uh, the, the, and even from um, research by Circa et al. that was looking at negative bias, um, people do want uh, to engage in the news, they want to be objective thinkers. But the transition needs to put more responsibility on the news companies themselves, uh, because with these, um, uh, with this information overload, you know, people can just even believe that legitimate sites are uh, not telling the truth, and even by mistake, some legitimate sites do uh, occasionally post fake news. There's a, a thing called um, news pumping or news sharing, where if a breaking news article happens, like say for instance, something um, awesome has happened, like, oh, there's an engagement with two celebrities, or if the reverse, there's some negative news that's um, out there. Uh, instead of just uh, having all of our, our reporters on the scene, what happens is that one news company, say like the BBC posts it, they're the first ones on site. Well, maybe uh, another organization such as Fox News in the United States, they don't have reporters on site, so they're just taking the news report from another news organization 
and then it kind of does this game of telephone where the news gets changed little by little and much like the game of telephone that original news article is now completely different from what it was so there has been this talk of there needs to be a lot more accountability and citing the sources where these sources coming from much like we have in you know our ap stand for academic research you know cite your sources you know it's, it's important to know where these things are coming from rather than it just being like oh breaking news something happened and no, well, where did it come from <laughs> exactly so we're supposed to be asking who where and what from <laughs> yeah yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense are there any limitations to that approach uh yes and no um currently the um the limitation has been that some of these uh publishers because they are for profit the argument has been well we just don't have time you know if, if it's happening on the fly whether it's uh something like uh, a shooting or there's something negative that's happened in the world you know news is developing on the fly so we just don't have the time that we're trying to you know keep people up, up to date um, as needed however the, the reaction and kind of and the argument with uh, the academic literature has been, even if that is still still the case, mm-hmm. if you are trying to position yourself as we are legitimate news, we're just going to present the facts in a non-biased way, you still got to you know, cite your sources. Granted, things are happening 24-7 uh, and happening so rapidly, but it's still your responsibility as the producer to cite those sources. And as we're seeing with um, participants and just people worldwide, there is an interest in that. You know, people want more citations in their in the um, in the news. They want to see where this is coming from because they want to engage in it. They want to understand the, the material rather than it just kind of spoon feeding them. So there is this desire for us to be critical thinkers, and we want to be critical thinkers. Uh, just news organizations need to catch up to what the their audience wants. All right, that's quite interesting. So you will, I guess we can take that approach, yet acknowledge the limitations in some sort of way because nothing comes without limitations, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, there's like even the research, because it's so expansive, um, there, there's tons of limitations ranging from um, how is the stimulus being produced. Um, there has been some critique in the literature that there's just an overabundance of using political news mm. as a stimulus for these studies. Um, the argument being that because we have political uh, ideologies, yes. you get more reaction in those uh, responses compared to things like medical news or um, celebrity news. However, though uh, there has been an argument that we still need to see those reactions because those are still equally important, especially when the research is telling us that both are equally of high um, susceptibility. And even issues with methodology, whether it's things like how, how are you standardizing it? Was the image presented for X amount of time um, or not? Uh, there have been some critiques that if you give participants as much leeway to do it as uh, long as they want, you have a series of images, the mental fatigue, they get wear down, and then they're just trying to get through the study as quickly as possible. Uh, So there are simple things like that with methodology, how are we defining our terms, and then just reproducibility. Are we seeing these findings, or is it just a subset within the population? 
Um, but yeah, in, in the joy of fake news research, you know, it's expansive and we're finding all of these uh, different things. Uh, but there, but as kind of a new research that's just been developed over the last several years, there's still room for improvement so that we can actually find actionable results in the data. Interesting. Um, I mean, it, it would be, you know, worth noting that even though we're addressing so many limitations that misinformation is being addressed by the wider public. At the end of the day, there's a lot of work being done, um, right? I mean, just I, just recently I watched a video from Tadad and it was uh, it's like an animated video based on uh, research explaining how to detect misinformation. Um, and on Twitter, even there was a, <laughs> they applied like a pre-bunking approach to kind of warn people against misinformation in the elections. So it's it's there. There's a lot of work, you know, going into it. So um, for all you listeners out there, so just like any other threat, you know, to your well-being, the key is to just proactively prepare yourself before you really face misinformation out there. <laughs> um, uh, before we end this episode, Mr. White, are there some uh, takeaway tips maybe you'd like to leave the listeners with to boost their cognitive immunity against misinformation? Well, uh, besides from just like going online and doing the, the bad news games that you can easily just type into to Google, um, one kind of things that you can do is kind of be your own little independent researcher. If there's a particular news source that you like that's, um, that has an article, uh, double check with something on the other side of the political spectrum to see uh, what they say. Um, there are independent nonprofit organizations, both in the, um, both in the US and the UK. Um, one that comes up uh, in the UK is like Private Eye, which is like a nonprofit um, news um, article, semi kind of a satirical organization that kind of tells you, uh, here's the facts, there's a, Another uh, news agency uh, in the U.S. that's a website called um, Sporals, and it's just it's a website that basically goes through the facts. Um, nonprofit news agencies like NPR just usually just going and double checking where these sites are these citations are coming from, and be your own little academic researcher. Um, additionally, just. Uh, making sure that if you're going to look at news content, just go to the, the source, go to the, the website and see what's being said rather than like using social media where the words are being changed, the sentences are being shortened, and it's meant to be clickbait. It's meant to just get um, advertisements off of you. So, you know, those are kind of simple things. It's like on Facebook or social media, just don't treat that as gospel when it comes to uh, actual news content. Those are ways that you can help prevent yourself from uh, believing in the news, distributing and sharing that content. You know, go to those websites, double check those, those sources and be kind of your own independent investigator so that you can see what was the context, what's being said. You know, engage those critical thinking skills and the more you do, uh, the less likely you are to uh, engage in limitations and analytical ability because you're breaking down this process. It's like mental exercise. It's, something that they highly recommend for people in their, um, in their golden years, you know, engage those brain powers and creates that um, fluidity. So much like what doctors recommend for, for our brains, do the same thing, engage those cognitive um, analytical skills and you'll be less likely to be susceptible. Amazing. So use that brain juice, huh? <laughs> Use that brain power. Use that brain power. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. White. This has been so fun. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. I've, I I look forward to many more conversations since um, 
um, you seem to <laughs> you seem to know a lot, and I'm feeling that people will want a round two. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully in the, in the near future, if there's another episode, I'd happily to uh, be a guest on the show. Oh, I'd love the sound of that. Um, un until then, everyone, thank you for listening. And more importantly, thank you for your interest in science.